Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. What a beautiful morning to be alive, ladies and gentlemen. England have finally done it. They've only gone and got themselves into the final uh, of the Euros. They played this at Wembley on Sunday night in front of at least 60,000 people, and that number could even rise to 90,000 before the end of the week, even possibly before the end of today. We're expecting a few announcements this morning. Let's face it, for all the grimacing, for all the agony, the ecstasy in the end was worth it, wasn't it? I've been talking to people this morning. Some of them are saying to me, I can't stand the stress. I can't take it. I thought it was going to go to penalties last night. That's what I predicted when I was on Mark Dolan's show. It very nearly did, and it was indeed a penalty uh, that made the difference between uh, winning and losing. I put out, as I always do in these times of trouble, uh, that great speech by Al Pacino uh, in the film Any Given Sunday, uh, when he ends it with just those words. That's football. That's all it is. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. When Denmark went one up last night, it was a bit like watching the old England, wasn't it? The team that only ever got so far in tournaments before crashing out without reaching the final stages. The team that had everyone on the edge of their seats cringing with every missed opportunity. But after the equaliser, things were looking up. The second half turned into more agony for the 34 million plus fans watching on TV. So please don't tell me nobody's interested in this. Extra time was looming. Penalties were looming. And then Prince Harry, as I'm going to call him, did the business. Forget accusations of diving. Forget that he actually missed the penalty. All that matters now is that England are through to their first proper tournament final in 56 years. It is actually, ladies and gentlemen, happening. And as I said yesterday, this will mean more to the country than a thousand hours of debate in the House of Commons, more than 55 documentaries on the royal family. Yes, indeed, we, and by that I mean Great Britain, have arrived. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? And if you're sitting there this morning thinking, I don't care, I don't feel anything. Actually, I'm rather fed up with the whole thing. Well, you might just want to take a step back, have a cold shower, wake yourself up again and rejoice because we've had a pretty miserable time of it lately and now suddenly we can have a good time 0344 499 1000 we've got Sam Allardyce coming on this morning with his predictions for the weekend Dawn Neeson will chart the country's progress as well and we're expecting Grant Shapps to announce during the show exactly where we will all be able to go what we have to do to get there and the rules for returning from holidays as well I'm afraid it might not be as good as we would like it to be but at least it'll be something. There might even be some more green countries uh, put on the green list. But they're still going to be asking you to take loads of tests. They're still going to be asking you to pay for those tests. And I don't think that is the way to go. Do you? 0344 499 1000. Up first, we've got our favourite statistician, Jamie Jenkins, with his take on the figures and the numbers. And Helen Dale is here to tell us what she makes of modern conservative politics. Is it really conservative anymore? Plus, Bill Burroughs is here with some documentary recommendations. And because it's Thursday, Helen and Nicklin will be popping in with some English-themed drinks to sip through the summer. 
0344 499 1000. We want to hear from all of you, of course, this morning, because the mood is good, uh, the sun is up, the sky is blue. What more could you want out of a day? Listening to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the headquarters of Common Sense, the original and the best. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us, without further ado, go straight to Jamie Jenkins, former head of health analysis at the ONS. That's the Office for National Statistics. Jamie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Uh, London must be kind of buzzing at the moment. Well, it certainly is. I mean, I don't know if I can say the same for Wales, but uh, I have a great belief in the fact that this will be great for the entire nation of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. I know you might have a few recalcitrant Plaid Cymru types over there in Wales and (laughs) a few SNP uh, people up in Scotland. But by and large, people like winners and they love to see teams doing well. Yeah, well, most of the, um, the the people in Wales, Mike, they're either supporting Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, right. etc. So I never understood Welsh people who kind of, they don't want England to win, but they all the players who play for England play for the clubs they support. It yes. never made any sense to me. I know, it doesn't make any sense, never did. But I mean, you know, this is one of those times when, because of the fact that it's the Euros and it's the final, and it's 30, 34 million people watching um, yesterday, last night, you can't tell me some of them weren't in Wales. Oh, of course not. And I think, uh, Mike, you've been just talking about it as well. That we're having all these shots in the arm with a vaccine, but this is a good shot in the arm for the economy because this is going to get our feel-good factor for weeks. People are going to be out with the hospitality. And we just need some good news, don't we? We need something to kind of get well, the country so. going Well, I think so. And it's like, like I say, I mean, if anyone's sitting around this morning looking miserable and thinking, well, you know what? I hate England. I hate the idea of England winning the Euros and I'm just going to be miserable all day. Well, more fool them. You know, if I can't help you, I'm afraid you'll just have to go away and uh, sit in a dark corner and, and mope. Exactly, Mike. And I think, um, you know, we've got the final. It's going to be a tough game against Italy, I think. They, they were kind of on the edge against Denmark last night. And hopefully they can finish the job off now because we've waited for a for a long time in the UK to get any team towards a European final or a world final. Yeah. So this is you know this is the time. If they can't do it now, Mike, you're probably talking at least another sixty years before they get yeah. to the final. But even just getting there is a great thing, and I think I'm very proud of uh, of what they did last night. It was it was a bit jangly at times on the old nerves for a lot of people, and some people are still recovering from that. You know, so I'm still to Chris Evans this morning, and he was like, I was so stressed out, and he still is stressed out because. He's going to be stressed out for the next game as well. But, you know, that's what it's all about. Football is a great kind of uniting sport, isn't it? Yeah, and if we can get... I would imagine, Mike, um, if England do win the uh, the final on Sunday, it would be a nice uh, finish to get Bedeal and Skinner and the Lightning Seeds out singing live in the stadium. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that's allowed like a live concert with the current well, restrictions. Well, I mean, this sure. is the other thing I was going to say. Julia was saying this, that she was up there last night and she said it was fantastic because it was like normality. It was like normal life. 60,000 people in the stadium. It might be 90 on Sunday. Uh, people walking up Wembley Way you know, hugging each other, kissing each other, waving flags. There was no social distancing, hardly any masks. You know, hello, this is this is what life is like. Well, one of the things I've been saying for a while, we've forgotten in the last year, Mike, is that, you know, when we're born, we're here to live our lives. We're not here to kind of lock ourselves away and, and stay behind the kind of closed doors. We've obviously had all these measures in the last year. But and I, I've just, you know, in this morning with people talking about, oh, we can't unlock because all these risks of different variants are mm. going to come in. And, and it normally comes from the independent stage lot who are kind of doom and gloom merchants. But remember, Mike, this is a global pandemic. And why should the UK continue to kind of restrict our lives when the, the latest variant came from India anyway? So well, it's right. not a case of the UK is going to cause all these variants. So, we've, you know, you're right, Mike, we've got to get on with it, get on with our lives, get that feel-good factor. 
and get this economy going again. And I saw Sir Keir Starmer at Prime Minister's questions yesterday, as I'm sure you did. I thought he was pathetic, you know, when he started banging on about what's the Prime Minister going to do uh, if 100,000 people a day uh, are going to be infected? Well, there's no reason to believe that 100,000 people a day are going to be infected. You might as well uh, pluck another figure out of the air and say, what are you going to do when a million people drop dead on the, on the streets of Manchester? I mean, it means nothing. Well, yeah, I think um, it's a strange one with the Labour Party, Mike, because in Wales with Mark Drakeford, uh, back last year, they didn't even have masks at all in, in Wales. Right. They had them in England and they said in Wales, oh, we're not quite sure on the science with it in Wales. Then we followed suit several months later. Keir Starmer has been calling for weeks to try to ease restrictions and then the Boris goes, goes and does that. And then Keir Starmer is now saying, well, we need to keep masks going on. And God knows what's going to happen in Wales with regards to all these easing of restrictions. But I did notice, Mike, on Prime Minister's questions, uh, Prime Minister and Keir Starmer kind of adopting your common sense approach. So maybe you should have patented that. Well, I mean, they both, they both uttered the phrase, didn't they? I mean, absolutely disgraceful without giving me any credit whatsoever. You know, we are the home of common sense. We have been for uh, the entire time that we've been here. But I'm pleased to see that they've at least recognised that that is what is required. But tell us what you've seen lately, because you've been uh, tweeting quite a bit about the figures. Um, we keep hearing all the time that, you know, there's a big increase in the number of infections. We keep hearing that many more children are being sent home from schools. There's something going on, but I'm not sure that it's anything to worry about particularly. So basically, Mike, if you think of the virus, it, this new variant that came around and it started rising in the northwest and, and it was kind of concentrated in the northwest and then it's doing what viruses do. It's just spreading out across the country. So rates have been going up. When you see these rates going up every single day. It's not a case of things are getting worse and worse and worse in the specific areas. They are worsening, but it's it's generally what you find is there's more cases in the country because the virus is spreading out across the country. Yeah. So most parts of the country, apart from bits of Devon and the bits of East Anglia, have seen kind of big rises in the kind of number of infections. But nearly all the rises might have been in young people 10 to 19, 20 to 29, uh, and we've seen very little rise in the older age groups. We're starting to see a little bit of a rise there. But, Mike, this is a virus. Mm. Naturally, it's going to spread around. So we've got the vaccine in now. And I've been tracking the data, looking at kind of the deaths and the hospitalizations and the cases. And, uh, you know, I know you, uh, we saw Chris Whitty and Patrick Valence uh, on the day talking about the break of the vaccine and these different things that are going on. And it's quite clear in the data that is happening. Now, I, I wrote a blog a few weeks back, Mike, saying, we can have to learn to live with the virus. Um, I, I, I'm not going to take any credit for Boris uh, reading my own blog, probably didn't, but we, he's coming out and saying we need to learn to live with the virus. And sadly, Mike, that's going to come, as I think it was discussed by the Prime Minister today, a rise in deaths. But deaths at the moment are at relatively low levels. Yeah. And we've still got at the moment, Mike, 10 times more deaths in the UK linked to flu and pneumonia than we are with COVID. But we don't get that shoved down our throats every single day on the television but how many people have died from this how many people have died from that they are at relatively low levels i expect deaths will go up but to put the figures mike into context because people are talking about rising hospitalizations at the moment if you look at all the beds in england about 1.3 percent of them have got covid patients in yeah at the heart of the state of winter it was over 30 percent. so right. you know we've got a massive long way to go before we get anywhere near what we had no but isn't it interesting that you say that and when you hear these stark numbers that you you're so good at uh, showing us uh, jamie you know we were being led to believe that 90 percent of the beds were being occupied by covid patients back in january and uh, even at its peak it was only 30 percent. it tells you what's wrong with the nhs is that they can't organize it properly 
Well, the NHS is a, is a big of a story in itself. I was looking at the figures, just reminding myself about departmental budgets. So mm. we've got over £171 billion pounds is given to the Department of Health and Social Care. That's a huge budget. Yeah, there's, a little bit, there's money then spent by the Welsh government, Scottish governments, because it's given direct to their health services. But there's huge cost to the NHS. And remember now, we still had massive waiting lists in the NHS before uh, the kind of the pandemic, Mike. And I, I heard you talking the other day about charging to go and see a GP. Yeah. And yeah. people are all in, in shock and saying, oh, we can't do that. It's free at the point of delivery. But one thing that's never talked about, Mike, is dentistry. Yes. You know, everybody's happy to go and pay to see a dentist if yeah. you can get to see I mean, I can't remember the last time I didn't pay. I mean, I've given up on NHS dentistry, by the way, because they, they told me basically pretty much flat out they couldn't help me. I should go private. So I did anyway, uh, which is a lot more expensive. But it's a lot more reliable. And it's a lot quicker. Uh, and it's a lot better. Exactly. And, and the thing, Mike, if, if you've got 171 billion spent on the NHS and you've got all of these waiting lists, which were still massive before the pandemic, it's quite clear that Sajid Javid as the new health secretary has got a massive thing to sort out here because we're already borrowing money in the country, Mike, to pay for this NHS. So we only get enough tax to pay for it. Something needs to change. We can't continue with doing the same thing. And, you know, that's what they call madness, isn't it? We can't continue to do the same thing as we've done in the past. So we're happy to pay for NHS dentistry or if you can get to see an NHS dentistry. So I think the model, and, and you've been highlighted it, Mike, as well, which is kind of shocking, is the, the GP model where you get paid for the number of patients yes. rather than the number of people you actually see. Well, that's not an incentive to see for of GPs to see patients. No, it really isn't. And the point is, is that, you know, as we look at these statistics, you know, we should be encouraged, should we not, that the number of infections is going up. They call it cases. I don't call it cases. I call it positive tests. But the number of so-called infections is going up. But the numbers of people going into hospital is not rising at the same rate. Therefore, most of the infections, therefore, you can um, conclude, are not very serious. And, and that's the critical thing here, Mike, because if you remember when we locked the country down last March and we did it in the winter, it was to protect the NHS, is what they were saying. And and that's not what we're seeing at the moment. Well, that was, that was the first excuse, wasn't it? Well, yeah, protect the NHS. And and some numbers, Mike, so some, some some tragic numbers. All this, you know, all the positivity about England and the football, but some just some, some tragic numbers. So um, some journalists in Wales have done, like, freedom of information requests around all the health boards in Wales. And it's been kind of covered on the stories in Wales this week, is that we've talked in the past, Mike, about patients going into hospital uh, without COVID, and then they catch COVID within there. Uh, in Wales, it's about over 7,000 patients in total. But what we've got now in Wales, and we, I think we've seen some similar figures to England uh, published by The Guardian a few months back, I think. But in Wales, 1,860 of those 7,100 patients actually caught the virus in hospital, Mike. They never came out. They actually mm. died yes. uh, having caught the, the virus in the hospital. So we're talking about protecting the NHS well, the NHS wasn't very good at protecting them, No, they? absolutely right. Stay with us, Jamie, for a moment. We're going to take a little short break. Jamie Jenkins with us. He is, of course, former head of health analysis at the ONS. He's got some great figures which are very revealing, all about where we are uh, and where we are going. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The independent republic of Mike Gray. 
on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. We're right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Jamie Jenkins, former head of health analysis at the ONS. Jamie, let me ask you about Grant Shapps. He's going to be getting up in the House of Commons in about an hour's time, we think, to give us the latest on the travel business, on uh, testing on return from holidays, uh, on what they will say to people who are double jabbed that they may be able to come back uh, and not have to quarantine. Um, but it's a big problem, this, still, for a lot of people as far as organising holidays, as far as booking holidays, as far as, you know, because, the, you know, the, 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 the numbers that, that, that this country has provided to the world um, have actually damaged our ability to go anywhere. Well, that's, that's, that's bang on, Mike. We're testing far more than some similar nations across Europe, for example. Mm. And when you're testing a lot more people, you do identify more cases. You, we, we are seeing a rise and the line rise because if you take the number of tests and the percentage of those tests coming back positive or going out, but we're sending alarm signals across the world. The problem I have with the kind of these travel restrictions, Mike, and people are talking about, oh, it's okay, stay at home and staycation mm. and things it kind of starts getting into this kind of wealth divide because there's many people who are kind of on low incomes who who obviously want to holiday themselves they can't afford to to holiday in this country because no. there's far you know the cost has gone up you know when people are making money back on the businesses it's a supply and demand model people will charge more people want to demand more but you know if you can't afford these holidays in this country what are you going to do so i think if you've been double jabbed or if you've got kind of that you've positive tests or negative tests have been shown you know going abroad is we need to start opening up some travel yeah and looking at these countries we don't want to risk saying another variant coming in but all the vaccines yeah, but let's face it jamie it's going to happen anyway i mean i think they've got to change the way i mean i was quite pleased with boris this week when he appeared to change his view and his approach on dealing with covid rather than saying oh we have to hide every time we get a new variant he was basically saying look we have to do this at some point we have to open up the economy at some point let's do it now because we've got the school holidays coming up let's actually learn to live with it instead of running away from it all the time exactly mike bang on because we've got flu variants that happen all the time and we haven't kind of hidden away and stopped traveling over the last kind of 50 60 years because of all of that and the testing thing he was talking to julia about in in the uk at the moment we're testing about a million people a day and this is a huge number so why don't we just allow some of our testing capacity to go towards people traveling back from holiday it's a scandal that they're charging people to kind of go about living you could say having a holiday is part of normal life so if the government's restricting you do that make it easier have the testing when you come back and if you've been double jabbed well what's the point of the vaccine if you can't go about your own yeah, exactly. daily life and going all and also the, the other point that starmer was making yesterday about you know what's he going to do the prime minister about all these people who are going to be self-isolating well you're only self-isolating because this ridiculous app tells you to or because you've been pinged because you might have been near somebody who might have had covid you know the whole thing is a nonsense it seems to me they could easily do away with all of it well, this self-isolation thing, uh, people are getting pinged and they're not even quite sure why they've been pinged. But if you've had, say, the vaccine and two vaccines, why are we kind of self-isolating? Yeah. And I, I know people in the NHS who are, who are self-isolated at home, which obviously this isn't going to help get these waiting lists done. They're testing negative, but they've been told, oh, yeah, but you've got to self-isolate because of the app. Mm. And it just makes no sense whatsoever, Mike. And I think, you know, hopefully Grand Chaps will offer some optimism in terms of where we can go and travel. Because remember this time last year, where there were no vaccines, you could go anywhere you wanted. Exactly. So, you know, what's changed? Well, I mean, it's all changed for the better, but except it hasn't changed 
the way that we can do things. Jamie, really appreciate talking to you. Thanks very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins, former head of health analysis at the ONS. This whole business of isolating is a nonsense. The only reason people are isolating is because we're doing so many tests. The only reason we're doing so many tests is because government keeps saying we have to keep testing people. But it's not actually doing anything. It's not actually doing any good. And it certainly isn't stopping the rise uh, in positive tests. In fact, if anything, it's encouraging the rise in positive tests, which they call cases, which they then mean uh, we are heading for some kind of disaster in the summer. I mean, Keir Starmer's falling for it, so you know it must be rubbish. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk Radio. It is an historic day, ladies and gentlemen, and you can tell that because the Times front page says England make history. And they know all about history because they've been around for a long time. The Sun uh, going slightly different with the Carlsberg scenario, probably the best feeling in the world. Uh, it was a bit of a nervy night. It was a bit uh, of a struggle at times. But England have finally made it to a tournament final uh, with, for the first time since 1966. It's Kane against Schmeichel to give England the lead for the first time in the semi-final. He's missed it. He put the rebound in the... It is 2-1 to England. 104 minutes on the clock. 16 minutes to go. England lead by two goals to one. That was what you heard on Talk Sport last night. Absolutely extraordinary scenes, right? I, I somehow knew he was going to miss the penalty. Sam Allardyce is here. Uh, he's been leading us through this campaign for, for, for a couple of weeks now. Sam, very good morning to you. Good morning. Mike. Well, what could I say? I mean, I just keep smiling. It's one of those things. You just look around. People are smiling. They're looking happy. They've taken their masks off. You know, it's a great day. Oh, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic evening for uh, for the for the whole of the uh, the supporters in England, the crowd at the Wembley, um, across the pubs in in the country, and the fan zones everywhere. Tense, nervous affair. It wasn't a wasn't an easy watch, to be honest with you, with the the tension that was going on, trying to finally break the duck and get through to a, a final since '66. And I think that um, a little bit of luck came our way when we needed it, and that's always uh, very much appreciated. And certainly, it's a the sort of time that you needed the most. And that was obviously the ball rebounding off Schmeichel coming back to Harry Kane to score because I actually thought um, uh, Harry Kane would score that penalty straight off because he's always been very good, certainly in the last World Cup. But obviously this time it was a poor penalty, good save, mm. but he followed up to finish it off. And uh, that's all the luck you need. I mean, obviously England deserved to win. They were the more dominant side and uh, they... Uh, had the vast majority of the game, but they couldn't find the finishing touches sometimes. Brilliant saves from Schmeichel when needed from Denmark's point of view, but in the end, the right result for us. And I think that, uh, you know, everybody's talked about uh, should we let people into the stadium? Should we let people do this with the pandemic? I think that what we've seen is the joy that it's brought across the nation in terms of uh, relieving our mental stress, our anxiety has been a great factor in terms of cheering everybody up right across the country. Oh, yeah. And I think for Sunday we should we should open the pubs and we should let the 
the people go out and enjoy themselves for a day and watch this totally. final and hopefully see England win. Totally. Well, I was saying this yesterday, Sam, that this is not just about football anymore. This is about the nation. It's about the mood of the nation. It's about the economy getting going again. It's about people enjoying themselves. I mean, people uh, that, that were at Wembley I've spoken to today said it was just fantastic. It was just like normal. Uh, normality had, had kind of returned to everybody. Everyone forgot there was a pandemic. Uh, 60 to odd thousand people in the stadium. 34 million people watching on TV. I mean, this is huge, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely massive. And I think that, uh, you know, the fact that we've uh, we've made it is, uh, you know, is more is more uh, important for the country at this moment in time in terms of lifting the mood. So it hasn't just been about football. It's a bit about the bit about everything else that we need to try and get us back on track. And hopefully, you know, the restrictions will ease again as as time goes on, the jabs Hopefully everybody will get uh, double jabbed as quickly as possible, and and we can get back to normal. Yeah. But in between that, let's hope for a for a great game on Sunday, and and then we have to obviously give uh, Gareth and his backroom staff and the players and the squad itself um, a, a, a big uh, thumbs up for for the way they've handled the pressure, the way they've uh, managed themselves, not just on the field but off the field, the way they've connected with the fans, and uh, you have to, like I said, Gareth and his staff have. I think learned an awful lot from the last World Cup and they put that into place with a very good squad and a much better squad actually mm. than the last World Cup and uh, and uh, that squad is uh, um, in strength and depth is probably one of the best in the world now. I think that's absolutely right because I did worry when that first Danish goal went in. I thought, well, here's a, a team that haven't let a goal in yet. Now what are they going to do? Let's We'll really now see whether Gareth Southgate has got... Um, you know the, the tactics right we'll see whether he's got the team selection right we'll see whether uh, they come back and they did come back you know but there was a period of, of play when Denmark looked a better side and they looked more dangerous they looked like every time they were going to attack they were going to score a goal um, and so I think they should take a lot of credit England for, for being resilient Well uh, it's the basis and, and the backbone of why they've been successful Mike because it's the first goal they've conceded in this tournament their defensive record is superb and, that, and if they maintain the defensive record for this last game of course that means they're not going to concede a goal and and, and hopefully somebody will score one so we we don't have to go to penalties that would be the last thing we want but certainly the, the reason the the backbone of why we are where we are is because of the defensive resilience and of course gareth has to face some criticism from me, the, the the outside papers and media sometimes for uh, being a little bit negative they're saying early on in the tournament but He's quite right that most teams win things who have the best defensive record. And then, of course, you have to hope that the quality of forwards that we have, and we have got quality forwards, put the ball in the back of the net when they get the chance. So you have to equal everything out. You know, one thing it's about attacking, but then if you over-exaggerate over your attacks, leave too many spaces, the opposition break away and score against you. And then instead of saying, well, we had the vast majority of the game, we was the better team, and ended up losing 1-0 because you you slipped up defensively. You've got to put both of those elements in place. They've done that brilliantly. Let's hope they carry on. Yeah, absolutely. Because England teams of old, uh, a bit like that second half where it was sort of a bit of a stalemate, a little bit sort of, you know, nerve-wracking to watch for a lot of people. Um, what they seem to be doing now is getting many more chances, don't they? Because you're right to say that Kasper Schmeichel played a great game, saved probably about two absolute out-and-out uh, out goal opportunities. Um, they used to only get one of those in a game, and if they didn't score it, that was the end of that. Yeah. Well, exactly. exactly. I mean, it, it, it really has been 
um, a work in progress over the period of the tournament. And uh, and I think the confidence that the team has, has gained. You'd have to say that a lot of those players are going into a tournament for the first time at a very young age. Mm. But uh, I still do think that um, uh, the fact that the, uh, the Euros were called off last year has worked in England's benefit for this year, you know, because they've gained another 12 months' experience and that experience is showing. We've had players who've won the Champions League, who've won the Premier League. So that, that stood them in good stead for when they come to international duty. And, uh, and like I said, it's very difficult to handle 26 players for this period of time. And, and Gareth and the staff have managed to do that. They've managed to get the tactics right. They've changed the, the team when they needed to. And uh, they've felt uh, like they need to use the right tactics in the right game. So they haven't gone out and played the same way every game. They've used the opportunity to study the opposition and then pick the, pick the best team to go on and the best system to go and play against that team. And that has paid off. It has. Italy, of course, slightly different uh, kettle of fish. You know, many people thought they were the best team in the tournament. They've made it to the final. They had an amazing game with Spain the other day. But Spain were able to sort of hold them uh, and they ended up uh, having to go to penalties. What do you reckon it's going to be like on Sunday? Well, uh, Spain were a much better side, uh, you know, in, in the last game against Italy. I think that uh, and the Italians' resilience and the Italian defending came and held them in place to give them an opportunity to uh, to get through. Ultimately, that opportunity ended up with penalties. And, of course, um, whoever keeps the nerve the best, I mean, you know, that, that that's what it's all about. The pressure on penalties is must be absolutely huge. I mean, all we've seen it with with Gareth prior to now is the, the one he missed in 96, which is, I think, is a great shame. Mm. I don't think we could have or needed to keep showing that. Like, you know, he doesn't need to see that again. Nobody <laughs> does now with the final. So it's a, it's a monkey off his back, as we say. I'm yeah. glad to say that. Um, but yes, I think that uh, Italian game be even tougher than the Denmark game. That's for sure. So we'll need to be on top form. And we'll need to play the game, not the occasion. We'll need to be able to handle the situation and play our best and and not uh, and, and play the game, not the occasion, like I said. Yeah, and again, the crowd will be massively important, as it, as it was last night, as it was against Germany. Do you think penalties is the best way to solve a final, by the way? Um, you know, because we've had places where they do golden goals, which I'm not sure is fair or any more fair or any less fair, really. Well, historically, it's been with us for for the whole of football since since its eternity, Mike. I think yeah. I think I don't think or cannot think of any any other way to try and try and make it any better than it is. They did try uh, uh, many years ago to have a golden goal in extra time, which meant if one team scored in extra time, the game finished. Right. And they won. Um, I thought that might have panned out pretty well, but they scrapped that pre- pretty quickly and went just back to penalties. Right. So, you know, you have to be able to and be capable of coping with that situation. And of course, if you don't want penalties, make sure you play your best and win it in 90 minutes. But if you can't win it in 90 minutes, win it in extra time. Absolutely right. So, I mean, I know it's quite a long way off, but it's not that far away. Um Care to give us uh, your, your pronouncements and your predictions have been pretty spot on uh, so well, far. What do you reckon? I think this is a 2-1 okay. for, for, for England um, and maybe 
maybe after extra time. Yes. I hope not. I hope it's done in 90 minutes, but maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be quite a cagey game. Sam Allardyce, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Sam Allardyce, of course, um, former England manager, a man that knows a great deal about the how tough it is at the top of the football tree and how tough it has been for England, but how brilliantly they've come through it all. And there was a moment, as I say last night, when they were down 1-0, where you thought, can they come back from this? They've never been uh, scored against so far in this tournament. 
That was how you heard it last night on Talk Sport. Quite a remarkable game. Something that uh, 34 million people, as I say, actually watched on television. And something that many people found actually rather stressful. I was talking uh, to some people in the office here this morning who were saying, you know, I'm not sure how much more of this I can take. I'm not sure how much more of it I can get through. It's going to be even worse on Sunday. Well, you know, I can't say that I felt like that. I can't say uh, anything other than the fact that it was a joy to watch England win. Um, And I'm hoping they're going to do it again on Sunday. Let's ask Dawn Neeson how she felt. Dawn, very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Was it one of, uh, was a night of nerves for you or was it something you could enjoy? It was, it was brilliant, Mike. I mean, I, I was working like a lot of journalists. I mean, I've pretty much worked on every England tournament for the last three decades. So I'm lucky in that respect. So I've had about three, like a lot of people in the country, had about three hours sleep. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> that's, about all you're, that's about all you ever have, is it? You work so hard. But you know what, Mike? It, it was like, a, it was like a, a boil of frustration, fear and anger finally being burst. And I, I think, you know, this has to be the start of, you know, our, our, our lives back. This is the start of, you know, the life-affirming mm. deliciousness to see everybody laughing and dancing and singing and drinking and hugging one another. They can never take this away from us now, Mike. I mean, this has to be it. I think you're absolutely right. And I've been saying all week that this is not just about football because it has been a rough year. It has been awful for so many people. And you can see the relief in people's eyes uh, in the way that they're behaving and the way that they're reacting. I mean, when I was watching um, some of the fan zones at the Ukraine game, there were, there were kids, sort of teenagers in tears, you know, because it's quite emotional for them. It is emotional, Mike. I, mean, I, I, I was lucky enough to be working on the Euro 96 our, um, uh, competition as well. And I remember walking out of Wembley after the Spain game, mm. feeling so uplifted, so brilliant. It was the best feeling in the world. And then, like, you know, in the semi-finals, obviously, we lost on penalties um, to Germany. And walking out of there then, Mike, it was like, it was just like, it was just awful. It was mm. this feeling of just despair. And it was like, you know, I watched groups of men try to beat up BMW cars. It was insanity. Um, I just really hope now, Mike, that, you know, on Sunday at the final that we we actually go through because I think now to to actually have this feeling of euphoria, that's what it is. It really is that. And you know, I'm not I don't think I'm being melodramatic here. I mean, it's because of what we've all been through for the last fifteen months. This is just this what is so needed. It's uniting and I know you've been talking a lot this morning about, you know, you know, will the Welsh be supporting us? Will the Scots be supporting us? Um, and I really hope that just for once, because of the unique nature of the times we're living in, that we actually can all get behind, not necessarily the whole England thing, but the whole concept of our freedoms being celebrated mm. again, our life coming back to normal. Because that's what we, I don't want a new normal, Mike. I want normal. <laughs> yes. And, and like we had a taste of that and it was absolutely delicious. And, you know, I think, you know, to use a footballing analogy for anyone now to try and take that away from us. I mean, it, you've totally lost the dressing room already. It, it just cannot happen now. No, I know. Yeah. And I feel as though, you know, I'm still frustrated in a way, not by the football, uh, but by the way that things are still unfolding. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think the high streets will kind of return to normal. There's calls already for the pubs to be able to open to full capacity on Sunday. I think they should do that. They should also get 90-odd thousand into Wembley. Yeah. But then I listened to Grant Shapps this morning uh, talking about the, uh, the the travel lists and all of that. 
And you just think, come on, man. I mean, can we not do away with all this absolute and utter nonsense? If you're taking the view that we have to live with this, you know, why on earth am I going to have to pay some ludicrous amount of money to get my kids, myself uh, and their mother tested if I want to go anywhere? You know, why on earth uh, could I go somewhere that could end up becoming a red zone, which I then have to go and um, quarantine in a hotel for two grand for? It doesn't uh, look a lot of this, Mike, as we've been talking about, uh, you know, on talk radio for you know over a year, doesn't make sense. And then you look at the jubilant scenes last night, which is absolutely fantastic. And then you go back to, to where we are with the, you know, well, you know, we have sort of some semblance of freedom, but you know, we haven't got proper freedom until August. Um, and it, you know, the rules are still in place about the number of people you can have at weddings and funerals, and none of it makes sense anymore. And, you know, the whole travel thing, Mike, it's like, you know, the green list, the amber list, the red list, it's, it's just, it doesn't make sense anymore. I'm not sure it ever entirely did. No. And you see how people are reacting now. I, I think that we're not, we're never going to be, we're never going to go back to being sort of like controlled and micromanaged by a, a government that break their own rules. Yeah. And the all of us now have in the back of our minds. I mean, obviously, it's it, you know it's, it's gone on throughout. But you know, I think Hancock was the final straw. Was that you know you're setting rules for us. You know, you don't hug people. You'll kill thousands of granites. Mm. Meanwhile, you know, you're, you're you're bedding the hired help and breaking every rule imaginable. It, it, it's just insane. And I really do think now that if they tried any more Mike to inflict any more restrictions on any of us we're just going to say no we are not doing it um and I, I think you know I, I've never been one to go on marches Mike I, I mean I'm, I'm not one of those people but I think for the first time in my life if they do try to again impose these awful soul-destroying life-sapping restrictions on us I will actually be out there marching yeah. Oh, I know. Because, I mean, watching Keir Starmer yesterday in the Prime Minister's oh. Questions talking about what's the, what are you going to do when 100,000 people are infected every single day? Well, hang on. Uh, why don't you wait until 100,000 people are infected every single day and then find out? Nobody's saying that's going to happen. Why are they continually pouring, pouring this kind of doom and gloom onto the, uh, onto the fire to try and make it worse? Well, we have, we've been living in the worst case scenario now um, through the whole pandemic. And you know what, Mike, not, not one of the, the worst case doomsday scenarios modelling has come true. They're no. just not accurate. And I do not understand why this government and, well, it's not the government because they're not governing, are they? We're being governed by a bunch of unelected scientists. Why they are being allowed to terrify a population in this way. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. If you look at what other countries around the world have done, they have supported and encouraged and been there for populations. Our government has deliberately not only ruined businesses, as we all know, we've talked about extensively, but, you know, the mental health aspects of this are going to go on forever. And it's like, you know what I'm really sick of now, Mike, is this constant, well, so many people died today, so many people infected. The infections mean nothing. Yeah. We know the link between infection and hospitalisation and death, thankfully, has been severed. And viruses mutate. They do it thousands of times. And, you know, the worst thing this morning, Mike, waking up after those three hours, was that you, you, there were still scientists going on about this is reckless, we should not be doing this going to die there will be thousands and thousands of new infections and it's like what do they want Mike? Yeah. do they, they want us to wait until the whole world are double jabbed before they let us have our lives back and well, it's like not going to happen no that can never 
Every time they set a new um, sort of level, it changes, it moves, it goes higher or it goes, you know, further away. Every single time they've done anything like this. And that's why I'm so frustrated about the travel news that we've had today, because I simply don't trust Grant Shapps not to turn the country that I decide to go to into a red list country. And if he does that, you know, that costs me personally an awful lot of money, apart from all of the heartache that it causes for everybody else. I have to I can't work for two weeks because I have to go to a hotel. You know, that's, just, that's not good enough. Well, precisely, Mike. And, you know, what I've, I've never been able to understand, and no one really adequately ever ever explains it, is, is why the tests we have to pay 200 £300 yeah. for, if we're daring to travel, yeah. uh, you can get free at other times. Yeah, right. I and, know, and it makes no sense to me at all. I'm told there are cheaper tests now, but they're still you still have to pay for them. If, it's a fam- if you've got a family of four, as I do, you know, that's quite a lot of money. It's a hell of a lot of money, and most ordinary people. But the other thing with this, Mike, um, is the fact that high-worth individuals um, are, are exempt. Of course. You, know, you are a UEFA VIP or uh, someone travelling to the G7, you're allowed to do so, you know, in your private jet. And, and don't even get me started on the climate change aspect of that, because that's exempt too. You don't have to worry about that. But Aslot, you know, you want to take your lads on holiday. I'd love to go abroad and see my godson who lives in Spain. But like you, Mike, it's like I can't risk them suddenly deciding that a green list country is suddenly going to become a red list. Right. And I have to in one of those hideous hotels where you're paying another £2,000 to be fed muck yeah um and and, and you know kept as a prisoner yeah it's nonsense mean- it's absolutely ridiculous totally ridiculous let's just finish up with uefa actually since you mentioned them because i see just before you came on that they've decided to charge england uh, with a variety of offenses apparently due yeah. from last night which also includes includes booing the danish national anthem now you're a football <laughs> fan um Booing surely is part of football, isn't it? That's what happens. They didn't like it when people were booing uh, the taking of the knee. But I'm sorry. I mean, they can't just keep stopping football fans from doing what they want to do when they've paid the money they've paid, can they? This is insane. If you're going to make if you're going to make booing an offence up there with being sort of like racist or violence at football, I mean, where does it end? No. I mean, football may as well just not go. I don't agree with booing, Mike. I don't agree. You know, despite being a West Ham fan for five decades. Um, I, I've never booed the team, no matter how bad they've been, and I don't agree with booing the England side because I don't believe it does your team any good. Um, and I'm not really that great on booing rival teams either, especially not Denmark. When, what, what they went through with Ericsson and you know, and, and, and you know, they're, they're a loved team and they tried really hard. Like, and fair play to the fans and uh, and the players, they did a good job. Um, but it's like it's, fans will boo. That is part of sport. That is what happens. I mean, it's insane to be investigated and fined for that. Yeah. This- what it's about. I mean, it happens. I mean, that's what football fans do. Well, exactly. And I mean, if you're not allowed to sing, and I know that these are controversial subjects at times, but it, but if the authorities that run the football game, who basically, don't forget, these are the same people that said, oh, it's all about the fans, you know, when uh, the International Super League was a big threat to UEFA, they went, oh, no, no, it's all about the fans. But no, you can't boo. Uh, you can't <laughs> sing uh, the no. songs that they don't want you to sing. Uh, you can't do all sorts of other things. I mean, they're also apparently, I mean, there was some idiot who pointed a laser pen um, at Casper Schmeichel, which quite rightly should be punished, but they should be able to find out who did that. They should be able to find find the guy and ban him from, from going to the next set of matches. But I don't, I'm not comfortable with this kind of, you know, overarching police force about everything that we do. 
It's where we are now, isn't it, Mike, though? I mean, you know, we have, you know, wrongly, I think, and I think you'll agree, given up our freedoms during the pandemic. I mean, you know, initially none of us knew what was happening and we did it to help and protect others. But now they're extending that into every aspect of our lives. And it's like, I really do feel that I am living, you know, in, in an Orwellian 1984 where yeah. you, you have to behave how they want you to behave. Meanwhile, they are okay to fly in on their private jets, have their prawn sandwiches, you know, gather in large groups and, and do whatever they want. Mm. But our webs, you know, it's, it's not all about the fans, Mike, anymore. It's all about the money, them telling us what to do. And I hope last night that all of us plebs get together and and celebrate our freedom and, and never go back to where we were. So come on, England, on yeah. Sunday very well said. Dawn Neeson. She's got the fists there. She's all ready. She's got the red top on. It's the England shirt, of course. Dawn Neeson there, Daily Star columnist. Available uh, here on Talk Radio many times through the week. Also on Plank of the Week, which will be out hopefully a little bit later on today. This is Talk Radio across the UK. Online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray. On Talk Radio. And of course, now it is Thursday, so it's time for the Thursday Club. The Thursday Club on Talk Radio. And I'm delighted to say that we are in the company of Helen Nicklin, who has come all the way into the studio despite the late night watching the football. It was quite late, wasn't it? It was quite late. I suddenly looked up and it was about 20 to 11. And I'm going, because they'd asked me here to sort of do film myself while I was watching the game. So, I mean, I wasn't even drinking that much, really, even though everybody said, you look sozzled. I was like, well, I'm not, actually. Um, but, but, but I had to sort of... Uh, I, I, there was a lot going on, so I couldn't really quite concentrate on it at all times. But it was it was great, wasn't it? It was it was fantastic. and quite hard to sleep afterwards, actually. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people this morning I was talking to were going, oh, my God, it was so stressful. You know, I can't wait till Sunday, but I'm going to be so stressed out. I don't know if I can handle it. I think it's great. I think it's very good. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean... It's been, what, 56 years? Something like that. Yeah, well, that's why I thought it'd be a good idea to celebrate with some bubbles well, and listen, all things English. Uh, we've got some English things over here to my right, and you've got some things in front of you, so tell us uh, what you've got for yeah, us. Yeah, there's quite a lot in front of us today, isn't yes. there? We are going to start with some English fizz, okay. um, but made in a slightly different way, made in the same way as Prosecco, actually, so ah, it's a bit different. All right. And then we're going to move on to... Aldi's version of Pims, which okay. came top as a, top of a taste test I did okay. recently of the oh, supermarket yes. delight. This Austin stuff. That's Austin stuff. Yes. Because it, it does look exactly like Pims. I wasn't quite sure. It's got a little Union Jack on it as well. Very yeah, good. It, it has. And then um, I'm really excited about this gin liqueur by Reverend Hubert. Yes, I looked at that and assumed immediately that it was French. <laughs> called it Reverend Hubert. Reverend Hubert. But, you know, it's not, is it? It's, no, uh, it's, it's very, not. It's a great label, by the way. Look at that. Oh, I mean, that is very fantastic. Clever. He was a cheeky chappy. Um, um, yes, this this who liked to party and this oh, yeah. is one of his recipes dating back to okay. 1904. And garden gin liqueur so it's not quite gin. No it's not it's it tastes more like a like a vermouth in in a way and okay. it's infused with lots of real fruit. So would you drink it could you drink it neat as a as a sort of almost like a gin martini if you like? Yeah you could over ice yeah. I recommend and this one particularly with some fresh strawberries in it would uh -huh. be amazing with a bit of tonic or as we'll try later as a, an English Negroni. Okay very nice well yeah. well go shoot which one do you yes. want to do first? Well I think we should start with the bubbles really yes so, so i assume you can't call it prosecco in the same way you can't call it champagne because that's a protected yes exactly i'm name. not sure they'd want to it's 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 definitely higher class than prosecco if i if i may say that yes uh, so it's the charmat method tank method which is the same same as prosecco which just means that it doesn't you don't need to spend so much time aging it okay 
and it's much more fresh and fruity and frothy style so it's not trying to be champagne or, okay. or those traditions. Can you reach me there because I can't really move very far. That's there it. You are. Thank you very much. And what uh, what part of the country does this hail from? This is from Sussex. Oh is it? Yes, I don't know if you know the area around where there's the Bluebell Railway but it's right down I do there. know that area. Yeah. In fact I think I might have even been on it. Oh right, yes. It's is that sort of down route. towards Tenterton, that sort of way? Yeah, a little little bit That's further Kent, west. Yes. A little bit further west, yeah, okay. Because there's a little railway that runs along um, by a place called Bodium Castle. Oh, yeah. Which I think it might be that one. I got on it once, not knowing that it, when my kids were quite young, not realising that it was actually quite a long journey because it goes <laughs> quite a long way. We were on it for like two and a half hours. I was oh, like... No. Just wanted a little trip. We thought we were just going to go 15 minutes up the up this little steam train, you know. Yeah. Oh, and, no. and even even my son was whining at the end of it, much more than me. <laughs> anyway, cheers. Cheers. So this is your local wine then. Mm. Yeah. King's Cup. Well, that's lovely. Mm. That's actually much nicer than any prosecco I've ever tasted. Yeah, it's it's got a bit more, more it's got a bit more to it, mm. and it's got that classically English English. Forest I love the colour as well. It's nice and light. Really pale, really light, really delicate. It Beautiful. doesn't have all those brioche yeasty notes because mm. it's made in a much simpler way. It's all about yeah. fruit. Mm. Wow. King's yeah. Coat. I've not heard of them. Do they King's make Coat. other things as well? Yes, they do. They do still wines. Um, they do some cider as well okay. and, and some traditional method sparkling wines. Lovely. And so it's under £20. It is. It's um, £17.99 if you buy it alone. But from this supplier, and a mixed six price, it's just over 16 So Beautiful. it's pretty, that's pretty good value. Well, that's a very good start, I must say. That's it, certainly it cheered me up. Yeah. I'm starting to get a bit irritable about travelling and holidays because I just don't think I'm going to be able to go anywhere. Oh, well, I know. You same. Know. Same. Well, you know, this... The point of this is to bring you back up and to celebrate the win again. Yeah, it? absolutely. So lovely. Nice Friend. bubbles there. Excellent. Now, next, next we're going to do the Austins. This is the Aldi version of Pims. Okay. If we're allowed to say that, well, we are. What do you put in your Pims? Because there are rules, are there not? There are rules. Yes, I like it classic, sort of one part mm. Pims alike to two parts lemonade yeah. with all the gubbins. Okay. Because I was at you? a party um, last week and... Um, was started off with some pims, and then thought to myself, uh, there was some prosecco knocking about, and I thought I'll put some prosecco in that, Ooh. and it was really good. Yeah, I bet that worked. Actually. Gave it a really nice little kind of bit of fizz, yeah. but you still tasted the pims. Yes, and you've got the sweetness from the prosecco. Yeah. Imagine that works. It like was really nice, and it wasn't actually, um, it didn't make it ridiculously strong either. You know, because mm, mm. the other alternative I sometimes have been known to do is put a bit of gin in it. <laughs> Which usually means you're flat out on the garden floor yeah. uh, by about three o'clock. Spiking the punch. Mm. Yeah, but well, all of those things would mm. work, I imagine. That tastes exactly like Pim's, doesn't it? It, it does. In fact, I rated it even slightly higher than Pim's mm. when I did all the supermarket versions. Just, It's got that extra little slightly So it's now, um, it's Austin o'clock, is it? It yeah. is Austin, Austin o'clock. o'clock. Yeah, and it's... Just... How can they do that? Because, I mean, Pim's, you would think, I mean, they're the only people that make it, really, aren't they? Or they, at least they were. They, they were, and it's yeah. a secret recipe. Apparently but, not. Um, apparently, These apparently guys have not. guessed it pretty well. They, they have. I mean, it, it's interesting to see how all the supermarkets have tried to guess it in slightly different ways. They've definitely nailed it. Right. And it's cheaper, presumably, as well. It is. Yes, it's £7.49, I think, for a litre. That's about half the price, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Blimey. Yeah. Win-win. Aldi's, here we come. It is. Although I've got quite a lot of pims knocking around for some reason. Not everybody <laughs> likes it. No. I mean, don't. I'm quite fond of it, but you sort of have to have the sun shiny, don't you? 
Yes, but maybe it's also because you spike it with gin and all sorts well, of Well, it could be that, yeah. Yeah, they don't <laughs> like coming back. Mm. <laughs> no, no, they don't. Lovely. OK, so next. Yeah. Well, next is the splash out, this interesting Reverend Hubert. Ah, uh, yes. So this is the garden is gin. Is this the one liqueur. I've got here? It, yeah, yes, that's right. Because uh, I've, I've had, oh, cleverly, I've, I've had one prepared earlier. Do you need to put something that's in That's it. it. Actually, that's that's the last one. I'm, I'm going to do Oh, sorry. A, okay. like a, it's, it's the same same drink, but I've, do, I've done it two ways. So okay. this is, first of all, just the really simple serve with... A bit of topped up with a bit of soda okay. and some strawberries. Okay, thank you very much. Yep. So this is the gin liqueur. It is. It's it's their garden gin liqueur because they've their first one was the winter gin liqueur, which mm. is slightly oh, that's more lovely. spicy. It's really that's summer. That's lovely. This. It's very summery, isn't it? Yeah, really, really light, and they've it's got all those lovely English fruits in it: pomegranates and cranberries and rhubarb and plum. Yeah. Mm. And you know, is that sort of. Um, the kind of drink that you wouldn't have in the evening. I mean, would you have this kind of drink in the? I mean, I know it, it feels like it should be a daytime drink to me. I, I think with the soda, this is this is a daytime drink. You can really get that rhubarb, that spice, actually, can't you? Yes. But I think if you wanted to have it in the evening, I'd I'd serve it how I've served it with you in the English Garden Negroni, which mm. is what I'm going to call it. Yes, that um, is really very refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's quite different as well. Mm. They make everything by hand too, so it's right. a real labour of love. And where's this from? This is well. It's from it's from England and yeah, fruit from all over. SW fourteen, it says here. Yes, blended that's and where they live. Yes, my friend Joe Wadsack helps to. Oh, make sorry, it. blended and bottled. Sorry, I, t I tell a lie. On the edge of the Cotswolds. Ah, oh, yeah. How very English. <laughs> it's very, very. But uh, you can't get more English than that. Well, exactly. That was that was the point. That was definitely the point. Yeah. Very which, good. Which well, is... we're timing this almost perfectly, so we're getting to the last one now, which is looking Super. slightly darker. So what's in this? So this is what I've called the English Garden Negroni. We're using the Reverend Hubert. But I've done an Italian-English mash-up here because I thought mm. that was only right. That's a very clever thing you've done. Oh, I very, know. This is why you are the wine expert of the three <laughs> drinkers, isn't it? Because uh, you're also not just the wine expert, you're now the gin expert. I am now the gin I expert. I never even thought of that until yeah. you said it. See? Yeah, fun. So that lovely... Bellissimo. Grazie, grazie. Yeah. So I've put in uh, the Reverend Hubert, the garden gin liqueur, but with the Italian cocky vermouth that we've had before that yes. you really liked. Yes. And then a splash of Campari. I wouldn't put... A equal part Campari and I put a little mm. bit less just so it's not so bitter. I can taste the Campari. Mm. I, like, I like a Campari and soda actually, I don't mind that. Yeah, well if you like it bitter then yes, you can just add mm. to taste really. But this is more the evening version. Beautiful. And yeah. how much for the Reverend Hubert's Garden Gin? Okay, It's not cheap, it's about £34. Ooh. You get that. It's okay. exclusively at Master of Malt at the moment. But it says here it features... Uh, rhubarb, plum, sweet pomegranate and tart cranberries. Very yes, nice. Yes. Beautiful. It is a lovely taste. It's really handmade yeah. and it, it's beautiful. It's, it makes a wonderful gift as well. Yes, it's a lovely thing to think about. Well, great. Well, thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. Um, what a fantastic selection of very cool drinks to have during the summer um, and during, I suppose, the weekend leading up to the big game on Saturday night. A bit of an Italian touch. Hello, yeah. Nicklin. Thank you very much indeed. you want to tell us about where they can find your blog and all that sort of thing? Well, yeah, sure. Um, ThreeDrinkers.com, you'll find all the information on these drinks there as well. And our podcast as well, Bring a Bottle. That's me and Excellent. AD and a load of guests. Good. We'll get you on at some point. Good stuff, because we did well last week with that lovely red wine that you brought us, oh. which was very cheap, but very drinkable. Yes. So do try this stuff out. We'll be putting it out later as to where you can get it all and what it all is. Uh, that was, of course, The Thursday Club. The Thursday Club on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.